You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone, really excited to bring you Jay Bear today, who is the founder of Convince and Convert. He also runs Convince and Convert Media. And God, I mean, there's a lot that he does. I mean, you know, his uh, Convince and Convert itself, it's a digital marketing customer experience advisory firm that helps brands like United Nations, 3M, Oracle, Cisco, Nike, and more. Convince and Convert Media, they've got a ton of resources out there. If you really want to learn how to get better at marketing, education, and resource hub that you can check out. He's started five multi-million dollar companies from scratch, has 26 years of marketing and a customer experience expertise. And he's one of the fewer than 200 living members of the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. He's got three podcasts, Social Pros Podcast, Talk Triggers Podcast, Marketing Marvels Podcast. He's got a new one that we're going to talk about a little as well. And he's got six New York Times bestselling books. And we've just got a lot of stuff going on. I'm really excited to talk to him today. We're going to go rapid fire. So Jay, first and foremost, how are you? Welcome to the show. Eric, thanks so much. Great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thanks for asking. So yeah, I guess, you know, is there anything I missed in the introduction? Could you give us kind of a brief Jay Bear story? Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, here's a story I, I sometimes tell on stage. So I have been in digital since digital was invented. I, I started in digital marketing in 1993. Uh, I began in politics, got out of politics, got into digital accidentally. I was working as a spokesperson for the state government. And my friends started the very first internet company in Arizona in 1993. And we were having beers. And they said, hey, this internet company that we started, is starting to get a little bit bigger and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, well, that's fine because you, when you say internet company, I don't really know what that means because Eric, this was before Yahoo. This is before Netscape. This is a decade before Google. This is early, early days. But I was like, look, I don't want to be a spokesperson anymore. So I walked in the next day, quit my job, started to work at an internet company without having ever been online other than sort of AOL and Prodigy and CompuServe in those days. But here's how long ago it was. We could buy domain names for free. You could get whatever domain name you wanted and not have to pay anything for it because who would want to have a website? Like what would you even do with a website? So, and this is a thousand percent true. My partners and I registered a bunch of domains and we get a call one day from Anheuser-Busch Brewing Company. And they say, we want to build the first ever website for Budweiser.com. And it says here that you guys own the domain name Budweiser.com. We said, yes, we do. So we'd like to buy it from you. We said, wow, well, we're not just going to give it to you. So we sold Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch in 1993 for 50 cases of beer. Oh. And we genuinely <laughs> thought that we got like such a dope deal. We're like, oh my God, dude. I was 23 at the time. I'm like, that's a lot of beer. That is a lot of beer. And that's how long ago it was. And so I have seen every trend that you've ever talked about on this show. I have had a front row seat for it, which which is a really interesting background and a really fascinating career. And, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. How much would you sell it for nowadays? Gosh, Gosh I, don't I don't even know. know. Well, here's the, here's the other side of that story, story right? right? So I went on vacation. I was so pumped. Like, oh my God, we got 50 free cases of beer. Went on vacation. While I was gone, my partner registered some other domains without me. So I wasn't on the registration paperwork. One of those was beer.com. 
and he sold it like two years later for five point one million dollars to Molson, Molson Brewing. Brewing. And, wow. uh, and and uh, and so he rode off into the sunset with his money. Uh, and I'm still out here writing books every two years. So there you go. There, there <laughs> That's you go. awesome. Well, yeah, you have Convince and Convert Media. Can you tell us how the the machine works, so to speak? And then we'll talk about kind of what you're doing nowadays to change things up a little bit. Yeah. So Convince and Convert Consulting is our boutique strategy firm. We do content strategy, social strategy, digital strategy, and customer experience strategy for, for many of the world's most iconic brands. There's just 15 of us, which is how we want it. We want to be like a very small and fun McKinsey. We just kind of come in, solve big problems and get out. You know, we don't want to be an agency. We don't want to be uh, doing people's work day to day. We're not set up to do that. We we're a strategic company, not a, not an execution company. Convince Giver Media is our network of, as you mentioned in the open podcasts, our website, our emails, our webinar series, our, our research series. We're doing like six big pieces of original research every year now. And we have a lot of sponsors of that work, mostly SaaS companies who are trying to reach marketers. We have a very, very large list and a large community of digital marketers who who follow our work, just like your work. And, and so we connect software companies to hopefully their future customers. And then I spend a lot of my time, of course, giving presentations and writing books and doing that side of the of the business, which of course generates leads for the consulting and the media operation as well. Got it. That's awesome. And how do you guys how do you guys make money? Because you guys have so many different things going on. Yeah. So on the consulting side, it's pretty standard. It's strategic project deliverables, right? So somebody writes us a, a check to, to solve their strategy problem. On the media side, it's mostly annual deals, which would be a sponsorship which might include sponsoring one of my podcasts plus two webinars plus three emails that we'll send to our list on their behalf. So it's usually a, a combination of pieces that rolled into an annual kind of sponsor fee. And then on the speaking side, of course, people pay me to, to give speeches and the book business is pretty similar. Got it. Okay. And so what kind of numbers can you share around the businesses combined today? Anything would be helpful because uh, you know people in this audience love numbers. Yeah. So we have gone from, we've been on the, on the ink list uh, multiple times. We have sort of flattened out the growth curve on purpose because our company is all virtual. We've been virtual since the very first day. We've never had an office. Everybody works from home, which has a ton of advantages, but it does have some scaling disadvantages. And so I purposely tapped the brakes on growth a couple of years ago and said, this is about the size company that I'm comfortable running in this structure without adding a bunch of management layers because we really don't have any. So all in different divisions, we'll do four something this year, which is a pretty good run rate for a, a small company that doesn't really have any overhead. Got it. And so you're purposely trying to keep, you're trying to maintain it because you don't, you're like, okay, there's no reason to try to build it to 20, 40 million because there, there might be more headaches at different levels, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've done this before. Like this is the, I think you mentioned the out, output. This is like the fifth professional services firm I've started. So I've seen this movie before. You go through growth periods and then as a professional services firm, especially a marketing services firm, it's pretty labor intensive. And and so to get to the next level of growth, you have to add a layer of management, which then increases costs and decreases profit until you can blow through the next layer, right? So people think that growing a professional services firm is like a ladder, but it's not. It's growth and then a plateau and then growth and then a plateau. And you know those numbers are typically 25 people, your profit's going to drop, 50 people, your profit's going to drop, 150 people, your profit's going to drop. It's pretty well established and having done all of that before like you know i didn't build this one to sell it i built this one to, to have a lifestyle business because i decided five years ago eric that 
per, me personally, not, not for the corporation, but me as an individual human being, I, I want to be a professional speaker that owns one of the world's best consulting firms, not a consultant who gives an occasional speech. Got right? it. The thing that I've all the, of all the things that I do, the thing I like best is getting on a stage with a microphone and making people walk out of that room and change their life. That's the part that I find the most personally gratifying. So I reoriented the business to allow me to do that. But the byproduct of that is I no longer have a business that can scale or be sold. And I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. And I think what you've done is amazing because you not only do you have the services firm, you're going out there, you're speaking, you're getting paid for it, but you not only have you, you have three podcasts, four podcasts now, I guess, and then you know six books. So can you maybe talk to speak to the the method behind the madness? I mean, you guys do you know original research. It looks like you guys are pumping out a ton of blog content as well. So, you know, what can you share? How does that operation work? And what do you get from that operation? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's some of it's illinear. I, I wrote a, a book a few years ago called Utility, Y-O Utility, which is Perhaps my best known work in that space, which is all about the premise that that helping beats selling, that if you just take everything you know and give it away one bite at a time, that some of the people who consume those information hors d'oeuvres will end up paying for knowledge meals. It's the same reason that you have a podcast, right? That that some people who listen are are going to be monetizable. It sucks to make it sound that transactional, but you know, some percentage of the people you reach with your content are going to either directly or indirectly pay you. And the problem is most people don't have the patience to do that and they don't want to give it away. They're like, well, this is my secret sauce. I don't want to give away my secret sauce on a podcast. I don't want to give away my secret sauce in a blog post. It's like, well, look, man, a list of ingredients doesn't make somebody a chef. And if you have a prospective client who's like, yeah, I could hire Eric and his team or I could just read a bunch of blog posts and do it myself. Let me tell you, I've been doing this a long time. That's not a client you want anyway. So go ahead and let them DIY it. And the people who are the right fits for you will find you and they'll pay you. But look, it's got to be a long-term play. So our strategy is we envelop people with great information and some of those people will pay us. Love it. And so you talk about starting you know, five multi-million dollar companies from scratch. I mean, what are some lessons you learned from those, those five companies? I think understanding what you want the outcome to be from the beginning really helps. And that's not advice that's new to me but or, or new to listeners. But it really does help to say, this is a business I want to sell. This is a business I want to keep. This is a business that, that I can see turning out this way. That really helps um, reduce your own frustration. The most important important thing when you start a new business is the most important word is is not yes, it's no. The temptation in the early days is to take every project, every opportunity because you need the money, right? But it just reduces your focus. And so having the courage and hopefully the capitalization to really stick to your knitting, especially in the first year or two, really, really helps accelerate your timeline. And, and then if you're any good at all, you're going to get to the point where you're scared to death. If you're not scaring yourself to death, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they let the fear get in the way of their actual trajectory as a business. And so uh, the hard way I taught myself a lesson many years ago, the, the best way to confront this is to write down your fears, is to literally piece of paper and a pencil and say, I am scared of and fill it out. Because what I've discovered is that most of the times when we are quote unquote scared, it's more of a sense of general unease. And when you actually, what I call dimensionalize your fear, you specifically say the exact thing, the outcome, the circumstance that I'm afraid of is this. Once you take the time to write that down, in most cases you're like, oh, well, that's actually not that big of a deal. Like I could get around that, like that's overcomable. The uncertainty is actually 
harder than the fear itself. And so advice I have for a lot of people who are starting companies or in early stage businesses is to do that. And and I am an advisor or an angel investor to probably 35 early stage companies, mostly marketing SaaS companies. I'm an LP in several venture funds as well. So uh, I've had a lot of chances to counsel people on that point and it usually makes a difference. That's awesome. And uh, talking about the investment side of things, so you mentioned 35 companies. What, uh, how many of those have actually exited so far? Let's see. I've had one, two, three, probably six exits, something like that. Some obviously better than others. Probably another handful that exited involuntarily, I guess is the best way, the best way to put that. And, and, and of course, you know, like everybody knows, you can't get frustrated by the ones that miss. You got to hold out hope for the ones that hit. And it's not for the faint of heart that, that, you know, the challenges, especially doing the things that I do and haven't been in this business for so long on the digital side, I get a lot of looks at angel stage, seed stage companies. And it's great to be first money in like that. But, you know, if those companies succeed, you tend to get squished down by the ABCD round. And when the institutional guys come in, liquidation preferences and and other circumstances can tend to make it a little bit less advantageous for the early guys in. So what I try to do now, wherever possible, is come in as a strategic investor alongside institutional money in an A or B round. We just get a little bit better terms. It's one of the things I like the least about startup culture right now is that the people who take the biggest risk, the angel investors, are the ones that actually end up having the the least chance of success because of the terms that institutional money requires. So you'll wait until an A round now instead of coming in on a seed, correct? I typically will. Yeah, I I almost always do it that way now. And and frankly, Eric, I wish I would have learned that lesson earlier. It's cost me a fair bit of money. I guess it was naive and thought, geez, you know, being first money in means you have the greatest appreciation. And that's true until people start applying liquidation preferences to future rounds and things like that. What the, the stock good news options. Bad, told all of it, yep. man. Yeah, you start to do different different classes of stock, board seats. There's just a lot of ways that institutional money tends to put the screws to early stage money. And <laughs> one of the things that is like both great news and terrible news in my investing career is the first deal I ever did years ago was a, a company called Fetchback, which was one of the really the pioneer in retargeting. Now we think about retargeting and remarketing. It's just like a foundational tactic in digital, but but they essentially pioneered the whole premise of how retargeting works. And it was started by a friend of mine in Phoenix where I used to live. And I was early money in that. And he was a very successful and very smart entrepreneur. And he turned that company in like three or four years at a very significant multiple, right? And that was my first deal ever. And I was like, oh my God, angel investing is the easiest way to make <laughs> money in the hi- in the history of money, right? And and then of course, it's never gone as well as that. You know, 34 more deals later, it's never gone as easy as the first one did. And it's great to have a success in your first one, but it certainly gives you some unrealistic expectations of what's going to happen thereafter. Can you share any numbers around that that first one with Fetchback? Yeah, I think we ended up, uh, I think we 13 X star return on that, which is pretty great in four years. Wow. And I'm assuming you, you came in an angel, you put in maybe like 25 grand or something. Yeah, I think it was a little more than that because I just sold another company before that. I think I was uh-huh. in for 50 or something like that. Okay. So yeah, it worked out pretty well. Cool. So like, I don't know, let's call it 650 grand. Pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, so years. pre-tax, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 650 pre-tax. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yep. Cool. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about, before we move into the, the new content that you have, the new podcast, the new books, you did talk about moving from an inbound model to account-based model. Mm-hmm. And my, my take 
take yeah. on it is this. You probably get a ton of traffic coming to your site, maybe over 100,000, 200,000 visits a month. Yeah. You're speaking all the time. You have a good email list. Your podcast get you know a good amount of downloads too. So why think about moving from inbound, which is what you're, which is what you're known for, to account-based? Yeah, it, a couple of reasons. One, yeah, all this, all this, all those things are true. We get a couple hundred thousand people a month on the site and books and emails and speaking and all that. But we, because we're a boutique consultancy, right? That that really only works with big companies for a, a fairly expensive strategic planning fee. A really, really small percentage of the people who will come to the site or even listen to my podcast, Social Pros, are potential clients. And so that sort of funnel it gets really, really narrow. And also, we've discovered that there are particular industries that we are not only better at, but have more experience in and that we like working with more. So we're trying to lean into that. So the, the the industry that we're really working on right now as we have this conversation is higher ed. So we currently have six university clients and we're going after a whole bunch more. So we've, we've launched a pretty significant ABM program just for higher ed with a, an emphasis on alumni associations. And we've created a whole bunch of content that you can't find publicly that is only delivered by our sales team to people who are heads of marketing for alumni associations of major universities via um, Sales Navigator and, and other tactics. And we're kind of walking people down a marketing automation funnel, pre-recorded webinars, you know, the, the whole drill. And because, you know, we only do in a given year, we'll do 25 big strategy projects, something like that. So we don't need a lot of good leads to to make this business work. So we're excited to see how it turns out. Got it. So I'm assuming when you say 25 projects, so you guys are probably charging like 100, 200 grand yeah. or so. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. You guys are, feel free to fill in the gaps here. You guys are creating the content for your sales team, the pre-recorded webinars, the yeah. eBooks, whatever. And, yeah. um, you know, how big is your sales team? And then what, what, are, what are they doing exactly? You said sales navigator. I'm just keen to know the process. Yeah. I'm keen to know the process too, <laughs> frankly, because it's pretty new. And, and it's not on rails yet. But yeah, so the strategy team and myself and our COO create the content, get it executed. We have two early stage pieces, right? So we've got two different ebooks that we wrote on. One's about social media, one's about content marketing for alumni associations. We did a whole bunch of work in Sales Navigator to identify the right people in each of those target accounts. So I think we have 75 universities on the target accounts list that are big enough, that have a big enough alumni association to really be able to use the kind of horsepower that Convince and Convert has at our disposal. You know, if you're really, really, if you're a really small university with 2,500 students, just the economics for them don't work out. So, you know, we're, we're looking at Kansas State, you know, not the university of something really small. So I think we've got 75 universities on the list. We have probably 200 target individuals that are somehow in marketing for the alumni associations or the foundations of those 75 universities. We have one person on the sales team who's in, in charge of the first two touches. So he actually goes into LinkedIn, sends LinkedIn in mail, regular email, sometimes calls, sometimes other touches to those people. We're actually getting ready to start a direct mail top funnel campaign as well using Sendoso, where we'll take some of these thought leadership pieces that we've created. And, and right now they're, of course, PDFs, but turn them into printed pieces and actually direct mail them as first stage uh, touches. And then in those early stage pieces, we ask people, hey, for more information, you know, tune into this webinar, you can watch it on demand. Once they go to the webinar landing page, that's where we actually gate it. So then we get their information in our marketing automation system. We use SharpSpring, which is really teed up for agencies. That's kind of what SharpSpring does. 
and and then we start to lead score them and continue to nurture their, nurture them with a series of emails, personal touches, other content pieces that we've created for higher ed. And if the lead score gets high enough, then we start to set up a meeting and and close the deal. Got it. So you guys are basically it's like okay, you arm your sales team with content first, and then they, they reach out saying, hey, look, you know, I I think you might find this helpful. We put this put together this deep research on higher ed, like you know trends or whatever, and then you know the, you kind of just drive them down this content funnel, and then eventually get them in on your list, and then lead score them and then try to get them on a meeting, correct? Yeah. You got, got it. it. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I think that that's great. I, I think it's good to diversify for sure. And then this is why you're diversifying into your your new book. So why a new book and what is the new book? Yeah, the new book is is still TBD, but we think it's going to be called Coveted Content Experience or uh, Customer Experience, Coveted Customer Experience. This idea that that people are doing customer experience all wrong, that customer experience doesn't actually exist. It's just sort of a nickname for dozens or hundreds of individual interactions and inflection points you have with your customers. And so it's it's a very counterintuitive, but I think very accurate and practical look at how customer experience really works and how you can continue to exceed the ever-increasing expectations of your customers. The one thing that's true of every business in the world, including yours, Eric, and mine, and everybody listening, is that your customers expect more of you this year than they did of last year, and they will expect more of you again next year. And and very few companies are prepared to continue to deliver a better customer experience to meet or exceed the increases in customer expectations. So uh, for me, I don't know if you know this, but but all of my books start with a speech. So I'm getting ready to debut the new speech, which is Coveted Customer Experience in January. I'll go give that speech around the world 40 times, 50 times, 60 times. And once I feel like it's in good shape, then I'll turn it into a book. Nice. Cool. Good deal. And and so you're basically testing if your book is going to work with your speech, correct? Every time I've done it every single way that way, because then you can you can test the stories, you can test the narrative flow, you can test the takeaways. It was actually easier. This is a funny aside. Back when people used to live tweet conferences, like, you know, religiously, you'd have 500 people in a room and 350 of them would be live tweeting. It was even a better tactic because then you can just see what people tweeted. You're like, okay, what should be the headline of that chapter? Oh, the thing that people tweeted, right? It was It was like a living focus group. It's a little harder now because people don't tend to live tweet the same way, but I swear by the take your book concepts and your and your narrative, test it on stage, and then turn it into a book instead of the other way around. Got it. And roughly, just give give a range here. You don't need to be exact, but how much does Jay Bear get paid to speak now? Yeah, our, my regular rate is twenty five thousand, which is pretty typical for somebody who does what I do. Got it. So if someone wants to get to that level, what do they need to do to say, okay, I, I want to get paid twenty five grand to speak? Yeah, you got to give a lot of speeches for nothing, and then a lot more for five, and a lot more than that for ten, and a lot more than that for fifteen. I've been doing this. I've done seven hundred and fifty speeches at least. So it takes a it takes a while, and you have to have a good story to tell, right? There's a lot of speakers, and there's more all the time. So a, you've got to be good at it, like generally good at it. B, you have to make it about the audience, not about you. And and C, it helps to really understand the business of speaking because success in speaking isn't necessarily about being the best speaker, just like success in selling books isn't about necessarily writing the best book. So the speaking industry and how meeting planners work and speakers bureaus work and all that stuff is kind of its own weird subculture. And, and it really does pay to, to understand how all that works. But the, the best advice is have a great speech that gives the audience 
something to do that will change their life or their business and go give that speech as many times as you can until it's great. There's no shortcut, although I do have a brand new podcast that I just launched three weeks ago called Standing Ovation, which really will help people along that journey. Standing Ovation is a show where each episode I interview a, a truly spectacular professional speaker. And Eric, we we listened to at the beginning of the show that speaker's signature story, the story that they're known for. And we'll listen to four or five, six minutes of that story. And then we spend the rest of the time, I interview that speaker and say, well, okay, well, is that story true? How did it happen? When did you put it into the speech? How have you changed it over time? So it's a deep dive every single week on truly the art and the mechanics of professional speaking and professional storytelling. And a lot of people who are either aspiring speakers or already successful speakers love this show and they're getting so much knowledge. And I'll tell you this, I've recorded 20 episodes, only released five so far, and I personally am a demonstrably better speaker than I was when I started recording the podcast because I personally learned something in every episode. Wow. I'm definitely going to be adding that. I can't believe that is free. Um, as, as a speaker, I'm definitely going to check that one out. So Jay, working towards wrapping up here, two questions from my side. What is one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience that is not not yours. I am a huge fan of the book uh, Procrastinate on Purpose by my good friend Rory Vaden. Uh, Rory runs the Brand Builders Group, which is the finest company on personal branding and acceleration in the world. Procrastinate on Purpose is his book on time management and productivity. It's a totally different take on on productivity and time management. It's not the usual, you know, make a to-do list. It's really, really great. And uh, I swear by it. I tell everybody about it. And how about one tool that's added a lot of value to your life in the last year? So it could be like a Peloton bike. It could be like an app. Uh, I would say Mixmax. I, I use Mixmax a ton for email. I find it to be particularly great software. It allows you to do all your meeting scheduling in the email and and add multimedia to your email, track opens, track clicks. It's great for salespeople. And it's just, it's the type of software that I wish all software was. Like the button is where you want the button to be. The button is labeled what you think it should be. You're, you're just, you know, you don't have to spend a bunch of time like, I wonder how you do that. It's just really beautifully made software that saves me a tremendous amount amount of time. Big fan, Mixmax. Love it. Yeah, I use Mixmax all the time. And uh, actually, one final question. What is one company or CEO or, that you're following right now? Terminus. Terminus is, a, is a, a very big ABM software company. You may be familiar with them. I'm an investor in Terminus and Tim Kopp, K-O-P-P, who was formerly the chief marketing officer of Exact Target before they were bought by Salesforce, recently moved into the CEO role at Terminus as well. He and I are, are good friends and old colleagues, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do as he mentioned this week in the press release, he believes that ABM is the new marketing automation. And I completely agree with him. And, and so I think we're, we're in for a wild ride. That's awesome. Well, Jay, thanks so much for doing this. What is the best way for people to find you online? Two places, convinceandconvert.com is our main site, as you mentioned, literally thousands of articles for entrepreneurs, business owners, and marketers. Also contains all of our podcasts, convinceandconvert.com. And my personal site for, for speaking, the Stand Innovation show and things along those lines is jbear.com j-a-y-b-a-e-r.com all right jay thanks so much for doing this eric i appreciate you take care you may have completed this level but many more bosses await if you're looking to level up in marketing or business just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs that's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up